us pray. Assist us mercifully with your help, O Lord, our God of salvation, that we may enter with joy upon the contemplation of those mighty acts whereby you have given us life and immortality. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to your daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast, a burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread the cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. We praise you, almighty God, for the acts of love by which you have redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. On this day, he entered the holy city of Jerusalem in triumph and was hailed as king by those who spread their garments and branches of palm along his way. Sanctify these branches with your blessing, we humbly pray, that they may be for us signs of his victory. Grant that we who bear them in his name may ever hail him as our king and follow him in the way that leads to eternal life, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Hosanna to the Son of David, the King of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. The Old Testament reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 52 through Isaiah chapter 53. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished by you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with his transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is from Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. The Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance. 
as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invert a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. 
Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross and when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let's, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and riding on a donkey. Palm Sunday can be kind of a jarring service, can it? We begin um, uh, celebrating the triumphant entry of Jesus, singing together. It's jarring to sort of figure out how to sing together and walk at the same time and come into the sanctuary. But it's such a joy to remember um, that entrance into Jerusalem, to uh, celebrate that people were praising Jesus as king, crying out, Hosanna, save us to the Savior. And yes, maybe they had some misunderstandings of what it meant that Jesus was and is king, but still we love to see that celebration. There's such hope in a sense in Jesus coming in and being recognized and being celebrated and being praised. And yet quickly in our service, right, we move to the suffering of Jesus. Suddenly, right, we're in Isaiah the prophecy of the suffering servant. And then we're in the, the passion. We're remembering the, the suffering, the injustice that Jesus um, suffered and experienced in the trial, in his arrest, in his beating, in his crucifixion. We, it's even covered in our, the two prayers, the two colics, right, that we say at the beginning of the Palm Sunday service, right? One prays, may we ever hail him as our king, Yet again, then a few minutes later, we are praying, may we walk in the way of suffering. And maybe we feel a little bit like, which one is it, right? Are we called to hail him as king, or is we called to walk in the way of suffering? Or what is to be the mark of my life as a disciple of Jesus? Is it victory, celebrating right, his kingship, or is it heaviness, walking and remembering his suffering, right? Which is he? Right? Is he almighty king? Is he a powerful, victorious king? Or is he a suffering servant? Right? And the answer Palm Sunday gives us is yes. <laughs> yes, he is a suffering servant. And yes, he is the victorious king. As it said in the very beginning of the liturgy, right? we see his kingship and that he wore a crown of thorns and that his throne is the cross. When we think of all the things that set Jesus apart as king, right? King above all kings, Lord above all lords. What perhaps is most striking, what's perhaps most surprising, is one of the things that sets him apart from all other kings and all other lords is that he is a humble king, right? Lord of lords, king of kings, and yet he is marked by humility, and yet he is a servant. And so we see his kingship, right, and his coming victorious into Jerusalem, and we see his kingship in going to the cross. A humble king. One of the marks of humility, I would suggest, is generosity. 
We think of those we know, those who come to mind when we think, who do I know that's humble? Who do we know that represents humility? Right? Probably another trait of that person as, they, as you think of them is generosity. They're givers. They give. They share. Maybe they share words of encouragement. Maybe they share time and affirmation. Maybe they share, again, their insights that build you up. Maybe they share their resources. But our king, our humble king, Jesus, is a generous king. He gives gifts. And we see even in his crucifixion, even again in his trial and arrest and his going to the cross, we see him giving. I want to consider some of the gifts he gives us that we receive in the account of his crucifixion, according to to Matthew, the record we just heard read to us. First of all, and again, these are just a few of the many things he gives us, but first, he gives us hope. And maybe that seems strange to say that in reading about Jesus, the Son of God, a perfect man, a man without sin, going to the cross, that we would receive hope in that. Especially, right, when it's followed, um, you know, upon, when it comes after the triumphant entry. In some ways, right, it feels like this actually confirms all the reasons I don't have hope, right? That when things are going well, when it seems like, you know, you're in a moment of victory, be careful, right, because soon things will change, right? That's sort of the, the voice of lack of hope, right, that we hear, right? When people are praising you, be aware that pretty soon they'll be calling out for your crucifixion. Beware of trusting people. Beware, again, of feeling good, of enjoying any moment, because soon it will change and things are going to get worse. And so we hear these readings and we think, there you go, right? No hope. And yes, the reality is things do often fall apart. Yes, the reality is this is a damaged and fallen world. And oftentimes people that we count on and we trust sometimes betray us and cause us great suffering. And yet in Jesus' going to the cross, we see hope. We actually are given hope. When Jesus is on trial before the Sanhedrin, before the religious leaders, right? One of them, uh, well, the chief priest um, says to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says to him, you have said so. You got to love it. He says it to Pilate as well, um, and he says it earlier, right? It's a, a, a repeated line of Jesus. You have said so, but then he says this, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven, right? He's arrested, right? He's, he's tied up. He's being tried, and yet he says to them, you will see the Son of Man speaking of himself seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And he says, from now on, right? Not just one day you will see it, but actually that's what you're seeing right now. You are seeing the Son of Man coming in power. And this is a reference to um, a prophecy in the book of Daniel. Actually, anytime we hear Jesus saying the Son of Man, which he continually refers to himself as, it's probably a reference to, to Daniel. And the vision we have of the Son of Man in Daniel. It says this is from, from Daniel chapter 7. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. That's bold. To be referencing, right, this passage from Daniel and basically saying, I'm the son of man. 
that's prophesied. I'm the one who will be given all authority. I'm the one who is establishing a kingdom right now that will never fade away. There's clearly an element of warning in that, right? I mean, Jesus is warning them. Or you think you have the authority, but actually I have all the authority. You should be listening to me. But I also think in sharing those words, he is sharing a word of hope. Even then, right, with them, he is saying there's hope, right? There's hope for you. These are the same people for whom Jesus later prayed, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. He's wanting to open their eyes, even in that moment, to see, look, the one you are persecuting right now is the Son of Man. Turn to him. Turn to me in faith. In the book of Acts, right, we later read of priests coming to faith in Jesus. And we can wonder, were some of those priests who came to faith in Jesus, were some of those scribes and teachers of the law there on that night? Did they hear those words and write them off, right, and become upset, right, and accuse them of blasphemy and saying them? And did they later realize those words are true? He is establishing a kingdom which will never end. And they put their faith in Jesus. There's hope there. Even in his trial, he's speaking words of hope. But of course, those words are to the religious leaders, but those words are to us as well. We hear those words of hope. It's similar to the Isaiah reading. I'm always struck when we read the prophecy of the suffering servant, right, that it actually begins with a word of hope, right? We're, we're again, I'm so familiar with the suffering it speaks of, but it begins, behold, my servant shall walk wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted, right? Right at the beginning, we're told, we know the end. Jesus is saying, have hope, right? I'm going to come again in power. I'm actually being exalted. This moment is actually shining the light on my authority and on the coming of my kingdom. And when Jesus says something is going to happen, when he says this is what's really happening, this is the truth right now, it is true, right? And we actually see that in the account of his crucifixion. We see again and again affirmation that Jesus, when he says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. Right after Jesus says those words, the religious leaders respond, they say blasphemy, they begin to beat him, they begin to mock him saying prophesy, right? Tell us who just hit you. And of course, they're saying, you're not a real prophet. Look at this. We're all hitting you, and you can't even say who hit you right there. They're making light of his um, prophetic abilities. And yet, right after that, right after they're mocking him and basically saying, you're not a prophet, we have the account of Peter's betrayal or his denial, um, Peter's denial of Jesus. And we read that, and we say, wait a second. Jesus prophesied this. Right here they are mocking him as a prophet, and yet immediately we see what he said would happen is happening. Right? Peter is denying him three times, as he said, right before the cock crows, exactly as Jesus said. And immediately following that, we have the count of Judas and Judas's regret. And we remember, Peter knew, I mean, Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. Right? He even said to Judas, right? I, basically, I know what you're going to do. I know you're the disciple who would betray me. Or we remember as we read this account of Jesus' crucifixion that numerous times before they entered to Jerusalem, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man will be handed over and he will be crucified. That same term, the Son of Man, I know what's coming. This is what's going to happen. And so as we hear him saying, the Son of Man will come in glory, we hear that and we say, yes, that is true. And what Jesus says is going to happen is going to happen. He gives us hope. He's reliable. He's a truthful witness, right? He's a, a prophet who um, what he prophesies happens. So he gives us hope, our humble king. 
Secondly, he gives us security. That's similar, right? Security and hope, they obviously are, are, are connected. Hope is an anchor for the soul. But if we think of hope, we can think of hope as what is to come and an assurance of what is to come. He gives us security right now. There is an assurance of our well-being even in the moment, even in moments of suffering, even in moments of great distress. We can know a security in the Lord. He gives us security because He's secure, right? He is a secure King. And we see even in His crucifixion, even in His suffering, there's a security to Jesus, Now, again, as we think about Jesus as king, we may say, well, yeah, kings are secure, right? That's a a, a marking of what it means to be a king. To have a lot of authority is to have a lot of security, like literally, right? People with a lot of authority, with a lot of power, they're surrounded by security, right? They have, you know, things that help them be secure. They have people whose job it is to keep them secure. But actually, when we think of a king or someone with authority surrounded by security, it's actually in many ways a representation of how insecure they are. They have a lot to lose. They have many threats, whether they're real or perceived threats that they experience, right? I need to be secure because I'm afraid of losing my power. And Jesus, right, what a contrast. He is secure, right, in the Lord, right, in his Father. He's secure in his calling. He is secure, actually, in his love and his commitment to us. That is part of the security that we see in Jesus in this moment. We're like, why is everyone else sort of freaking out and, you know, sort of moving around him and trying to decide what to do? And Jesus is centered, right, and anchored in the truth, which is that he came to save us from our sins. Right? That's the security we see in Jesus, right? So again, how does he respond to the different accusations coming against him? You have said so. Or does he try to argue? Does he try to convince Pilate? Look, you know, look this is crazy. <laughs> Don't put me to death. Like, let me go. Right? No. Right? He's secure. You have said so. He knows his mission. And people are, are later mocking him and saying, come down from the cross. I have no doubt that Jesus could have come down from the cross. Right? I mean, we see in the Gospels, there are moments where crowds surround him and want to put him to death, and he walks right through them. And he could have done it again. He could have come down from the cross. What held him there on the cross was his love and his commitment to us. As it says in Hebrews 12, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. And his joy is our salvation. It's our being brought into um, life in the Lord, right? It's our being brought into life in Christ. And so he is secure. And because he is secure in his mission, we know security, right? To be with someone that is secure gives us security. To be in Christ is to know his security. Many um, years ago, um, uh, I took a, a trip uh, to, to Minnesota. It was only my second time coming to Minnesota, so this was a long time ago because I've lived here 20 years now. Um, uh, but uh, this was when uh, my wife uh, Molly and I were about to be engaged. Um, and uh, it was the first time, actually, that we traveled together to Minnesota. I'd met her family many times in the Chicago area where we lived. Um, this time we were coming up, um, and we were driving, and we hadn't really paid attention to the weather ahead of time. Um, and suddenly we found ourselves in a terrible uh, winter storm. Um, and uh, I actually got freaked out, even though there's snow in Chicago. I had not driven through snow like this before, so I pulled over. Molly's like, it's fine. I'll drive. You know, I'm, I'm from Minnesota. I grew up here. No problem. And so for the next hours, and it was hours, we were driving so slow, um, I was freaked out. Um, I was actually going to ask her. I did ask her to marry me just a couple days after that, and I was thinking, we're going to die in a snowstorm before I can ask her to marry me. You know, I was like, should I ask her now, you know, so at least we could die engaged? I mean, I was really having a hard time. But Molly kept saying to me, 
this is nothing. Like, this is, I just drove in this all the time. You know, this is just life in Minnesota. So that's what she kept saying. And so it made me secure. I'm like, all right, I guess I don't need to be so afraid. Now, when we got to her home, to her, her parents' house, we pulled into the driveway. Then she said, that's the worst snowstorm I've ever driven through. <laughs> so she was lying to me. Um, uh, but she was assuring me, and I'm glad she pretended to be secure, right? It made me feel so much better. Jesus' security is real, right? He's not just saying, hey, everything's going to be okay. Don't worry. It's true. Again, what Jesus says happens, happens. And when we see the security, the amazing security right, that Jesus showed in the face of death and suffering, we know I can have that security. I can know that security in the face of death and suffering. Now, it does not mean that his suffering was not real. Right? We know it was. We know and we read in the Gospels, right, those moments where he says, I am deeply troubled in my soul because he knew it was coming. Right? We know in the Garden of Gethsemane, he actually prayed to the Father, if there's any other way that I don't have to endure this cup of suffering, may that be so. But then he said, right, not my will, but thy will be done. I will fulfill the mission. I will do this for the love of my people. And so his suffering was real. But even again in his cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which I believe is a cry of suffering. Even, even there he's speaking to us and saying, you can be secure. Right? Because that's a reference to Psalm 22. And when we read Psalm 22, yes, we see a prophecy about the suffering of the Messiah, but we also see an assurance God will be at work in this. God will triumph over evil and death. And so we too, right, even in the midst of suffering, and our suffering is real, we can know a security in the Lord. We can know he is with us in that, that he is a man familiar with suffering, with sorrows, and he is with us in our sorrows and our suffering, and we can know his security. We can know his help. Finally, he gives us faith in the face of darkness, or literally, right? There was darkness that covered the earth, and yet we have this extremely surprising and moving moment of faith where in the midst of that darkness as Jesus is dying on the cross, a centurion, a Gentile, a non-Jewish military leader can see Jesus dying and can say, truly this was the Son of God. I mean, that's shocking. It's shocking for one thing that a, you know, a non-Jewish military leader would, would think that, right, about someone who's putting, being put to death basically for sedition, right, who's basically being put to death as a, a rebel, as someone who has threatened to overthrow, right, the Roman government, right? I mean, that's probably how he would have seen this guy, but he would have seen him clearly as a failed rebel, right? All of his people have left him. He's been abandoned, and he's suffering a, you know, ignoble death, I mean, a, a shameful death. And yet the centurion can say, truly, this was the Son of God. And why did he say that? Maybe he saw the security of Jesus, right? He could just experience it. Maybe he thought, saw, this is a man who is committed to his mission, is fulfilling his mission, right? He saw the earthquake, right? He saw the darkness. He saw the very earth is responding to the death of this person. But whatever it is, whatever gave him faith at that moment, it didn't come from himself, Right? We can be very clear, right? This was not, oh, you know, he clearly was just this incredibly devout person of faith, right? It was a gift that was given to him. It was something that came outside of himself, right? We need faith, but faith is a gift. Faith is something for us to receive. It's striking, actually, the contrast between the, the centurion who stands there and says, truly, this was the Son of God, 
And Peter, right, a disciple of Jesus who denies that he even knows Jesus, right? And we think back, right, to an earlier moment in the Gospels, right, when Jesus said to his disciples, who do people say I am? And they had different ideas. And then he said, well, who do you say I am? And Peter spoke up and said, you are the son of God, the Christ. This incredible moment of faith. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, Peter, flesh and blood, right, yourself, your own strength did not reveal that to you. It's not because you're so clever that you made this confession. It's my Father in heaven who revealed this to you, right? So he's saying, you were given the gift of faith to make this confession. It didn't come from yourself. But then later, right, the night before Jesus' crucifixion, right, Jesus says to his disciples, right, you all will abandon me. Right? And Peter speaks up and says, no. I won't. This is the Son of God speaking to his disciples, saying, you will abandon me. And Peter basically says, you're wrong. And then Jesus says, actually, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, you're wrong a second time, right? Two times to the Son of God. He says, no, no, Jesus, I know what's going to happen. You don't. What happened, right? What happened? I mean, Peter has confirmed and affirmed that Jesus is the Son of God. And now he's arguing with him and saying, I'm right and you're wrong. And it seems like what happened is that Peter got mixed up and his faith had moved from faith in Jesus to faith in himself, faith in his own faith, that he actually had faith in his strength. He had faith in his trust. I will never deny you. That's what got him in trouble, right? He put his faith in his faith. Faith is a gift, right? a gift. Faith in the Lord is a gift. It's not something we work up in ourselves, right? We receive that gift. We grow in that gift but it is faith in the Lord. A number of years ago, um, uh, down in, again in the Chicago area, um, we had um, been at a worship service, my family, um, with my um, brother and sister-in-law and their kids, and we were giving their kids a ride home, or a number of their kids uh, a ride home. And so it was us, our kids, and again, a um, number of my nieces and nephews. Um, and if you've been to Chicago, you know there are Dunkin' Donuts everywhere. And so we were driving along, and I thought, I know there's a Dunkin' Donuts in about a mile, and so I said um, to the van full of children, I said, what about we get Dunkin' Donuts? And my uh, nephew, Ellison, uh, spoke up and he said, if we get Dunkin' Donuts, I promise as soon as we get home, I will clean up your room, the guest room you're staying in. I'll help you guys pack when you have to pack. I'll, I'll be your servant for the next few days. I won't tell my parents that you gave us donuts. You know, I'll do whatever you ask me. And I said, Ellison, like, we're going to get donuts. Like, this is a gift. We want to give you donuts. You don't have to earn this gift. And I think Ellison, at that moment, was often like we are when we have put our faith in our faith. Like, I'll show that I deserve this. I'll prove that I deserve this gift, right? I'll put faith in my faith. And faith is a gift that the centurion was given and that we can ask for. Again, in the face of darkness, in the face of evil, right? We can't work up faith. We can't create it, but we can receive it. This is a gift that we receive from our humble king. The disciples said to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. As we enter into Holy Week, let's pray that together. Let's agree to pray together. Lord, increase our faith. And there's so many reasons not to have faith right now, right? We just look around, right? School shootings in Ukraine and the suffering and the weaknesses that we see in ourselves. And yet we can ask the Lord, give us faith. Let's pray for that. Jesus, on this Palm Sunday, we as your church, who you came to save, whom you love so much that you stayed upon the cross for us and died for us, 
Lord, we ask, increase our faith, Lord. When we are tempted to look to ourselves, to try to work up faith in our own strength, Lord, turn our eyes to you. Through your spirit, may we fix our eyes upon you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.